Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. With that, we are going to jump into our Bible study this morning, so let me encourage you to grab your Bibles and uh, open them with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. If you're new to the Bible, then uh, you're not sure where the book of Peter is. It's towards the end of the Bible, just a couple of books uh, before Revelation, and it's a very short uh, it's a very short book, just three chapters, but we've been studying through First and Second Peter over these past, uh, it's been a couple months now, and uh, we've been focusing in on this theme of a firm foundation as Peter is encouraging Christians, and uh, normally the uh, letters in the New Testament are written to specific churches, but Peter's uh, letters are written to multiple churches who are dispersed and scattered in various cities and regions because of persecution and hardship. And First Peter dealt with primarily how we can stand firm when we experience persecution and, and hardship and trial. And so Peter was encouraging the Christians that God has a purpose in the pain and that even though we may experience suffering in our lives, as Jesus says, in this world you will have suffering, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And even though we experience that in our lives, uh, that we can have the type of fellowship with Jesus and his suffering, there's a closeness that comes because God promises his comfort to us. But we're also told that this type of suffering is only temporary in light of uh, eternity that we have with, with Jesus. And so that was the main theme of 1 Peter, but as we have transitioned into 2 Peter, we are looking at another theme that is really uh, in a, a, a big part of uh, Peter's teaching, and that is a warning against uh, false teachers and destructive doctrines. And uh, if you remember last week, you can go and listen to any of our messages on our podcast or on our website. But um, Last week, we actually not last week, the week before, uh, when we kicked off 2 Peter, we were looking at the introduction to 2 Peter, and, and Peter was greeting the, the faithful Christians, and he was encouraging them on a couple of things, that they should be faithful to follow Jesus, but also, when you follow Jesus, uh, then there's fruitfulness in our lives, that God produces good things in our lives, and uh, Peter encourages the church to add to their faith, and that faith is saving faith. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. And when, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, then we're saved. And salvation is not the finish line. It's the starting line. It's the starting line to sanctification, to being molded and shaped and changed from the flesh into the spirit, to walk in the spirit, and to look more like Jesus in our lives, the way that we react and the way that we respond, the things that we say and the things that we do. So Peter said, add to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge and knowledge self-control and self-control perseverance. And there are these things that we participate in to grow in godliness. And when we abound in these things, then we will be fruitful. And Peter says that there's nothing lacking in our lives. We have been given everything in Christ Jesus towards life and godliness 
But he also gives a warning. This was in the previous chapter, in chapter 1. He gives us a warning because Peter is looking to the next couple of years and realizing that his life is coming to an end. And in fact, Jesus told Peter in a private conversation about how he was going to die. And now an older man, he's in prison in Rome. He's writing letters to the churches, encouraging them in his last will and testament, saying, be careful to heed to truth because there are going to be times after I decease, after I'm gone, there's going to be times where false teachers and false doctrine are going to come in and we need to know the truth. And in fact, he provides this truthful testimony about what he has seen, what he has witnessed, what he's experienced with Jesus. But then he goes on to say that we have a, a more prophetic, powerful word in the giving of God's word. That God's word is uh, not the source of human wisdom and human ability, but it is in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we can trust it. And so he moves on into this theme of warning in chapter 2 by telling us a couple of things of this destructive doctrines. And the point that we want to remember today from this text is that false doctrine leads to deception and destruction. False doctrine, the word doctrine basically means teachings. And so these types of teachings that are mixed with a little bit of truth, but are exposed by Peter in this chapter by those who have a motive of greed uh, and money, and self-interest and self-gain, that uh, these are destructive doctrines and destructive teachings, and they are deceptive. And so we are encouraged to be on the lookout and be aware of when these uh, false teachings come up. And we're going to see this in, in four ways. First is we're going to see Peter examine the destructive doctrines. Secondly, we're going to see Peter explain the doom that comes upon false teachers Third, we're going to see the depravity of false teaching. And then lastly, we're going to see the deception of false teaching. You might be thinking, man, that's a pretty heavy, that's a pretty heavy message, doom and gloom and destruction. And, and God takes very seriously his truth. And when that truth is misunderstood or abused as a way to draw people away from the truth of God, then he steps in and deals with it. In fact, Peter's going to give a couple of examples in the Old Testament about, about how God dealt with uh, rebellion against him. And it was his destruction. It was his judgment. And we don't want to talk about God's judgment. We want to talk about how God is loving and God is gracious and God is merciful and he's God is compassionate. And yes, he is. But we see in this chapter the combination or the connection between God's just judge, uh, judgment and justice but also his mercy, because not only do we have destruction, we have deliverance. And God is faithful to deliver the godly, but he's also faithful to bring the judgment upon the wicked. And so we're picking up our story and our study in uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people even as there will be false teachers among you. There's a reference back to what he said previously in the prophets of old, how they were moved and filled with the Holy Spirit to speak the things of God. And yet there are also false prophets, and we're given an example of, of one of those in the prophet of Balaam, the son of Beor, later on in this chapter, how God used the donkey to rebuke this false prophet. The donkey actually spoke and rebuked this false prophet. There was false prophets then. There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive 
heresy. So we're told a couple of things about these false teachers, is that there is a trickery to them. There's a sneakiness to them. And notice it says, among you. It's not false teaching on the outside of the church. It's false teaching within the church. And so he says that there is a secret, tricky, sneaky motive behind these false teachers. And this type of heresy, this type of teaching that is opposite to the teaching of the word of God or to the person of Christ is destructive. Even, notice he gives us one very powerful illustration of the false teaching that was happening during Peter's time, but I think that it is even happening today. This false teaching, even denying the Lord who bought them. This is very powerful. This is the essential of the gospel, is denying the Lord Jesus Christ and him who bought them. Now, Peter had already told us in, the first, in his first letter that we have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That means that there is a redemption. There is a purchasing back. And the, uh, the exchange was made on the cross. And the currency that was passed between Jesus and God to purchase us back from the penalty and the wages of sin is his precious blood. It's his sinless blood. And this precious blood, we have been bought, we have been healed, we have been forgiven because of our sins, as the Bible says, the, the, uh, the penalty or the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so these false teachings are denying the centrality of the gospel. And so if you remove Jesus' redemptive work on the cross from the gospel, you have just pulled the rug out from underneath the gospel. And uh, there are essential doctrines and teachings in the scriptures that are so very vital and important in maintaining focus and emphasis on. And this is one of them. The centrality of the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ in ensuring the forgiveness of sin. And these false teachers were denying this work of Jesus and bring on themselves, continuing on, the destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways. That's pretty interesting. I wonder why. I wonder why people will follow. You know, the Bible says in the end times that people will heap up teachers for them that will say things that will tickle their ears, that will make them feel good, and uh, they'll kind of lean into that. Jesus also said that broad and wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many follow after it. But narrow is the way that leads to life, but only a few follow it. And so the warning that Peter gives us is, who, who are you following in life? Are you following the Lord? In fact, that's one of our vision, part of our vision here at, at Quest Church is, uh, well, it's in three parts, is to reach people who are far from God. And then when you reach people who are far from God, you teach them to follow Jesus. Not a person, not a denomination, not an organization, but you teach them to follow Jesus. And these false teachers are exposed later on as Jesus would rebuke the Pharisees because of their covetousness, because of their greed, because they wanted the titles, they wanted the positions, they wanted to look holy. But inside, Jesus says, you're full of deadness and you're a hypocrite. And many will follow their destructive ways. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And so there is an exclusivity to the gospel, but that exclusivity is open to all. It's given to all. The Bible says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
The gospel is available to everybody, but it is exclusive. Now, these false teachers were changing the word of God so that they could profit themselves. The same thing is happening today. That the word of God is under attack. That it, it, people are saying that it's full of errors and that it needs to be changed because uh, it is, needs to be updated for the times and for the things that are happening in our culture and in our world. And so it's constantly being attacked. And yet we're told that we need to stand upon that people say, no, there's many ways. All roads lead to God. All religions lead to God. People will tell you that. They'll say that. And they say, that's really narrow-minded if you say that just one way leads to God. But the gospel and the scriptures are very clear. As Jesus said, there is one way that leads to God. And many people will follow after humanism. Many people will follow after philosophies. Many people will follow after doctrines of the world. But we're told in the scriptures that these doctrines of the world are sensual. They're worldly, they're fleshly, and they're destructive. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So there is, a, there is one way here, and to deny that one way, God takes very seriously. And many follow the destructive ways because of whom the way of the truth will be blasphemed. Now we're told the motive behind these false teachers in verse 3. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Covetousness means greed. Their motive is money. You remember what Jesus told the mo- uh, to Peter, what his motive should be? After he denied Jesus three times and he was restored, he, Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? He says, you know I love you. He said, Jesus said to Peter, well then love, feed my sheep and tend to my lambs. Love and service and sacrifice is the motive of the minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not money. And so these false teachers were exploiting people with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has, has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. So not only is their destruction and doom for them, in fact, you remember what Jesus said about those who would lead people astray with their words? He says it would be better for someone to have a big rock, a big boulder, tied around their neck and thrown into the sea. And that we should be careful about, uh, we should be careful about those things that we say as teachers because we will be held to a stricter judgment. And so again, God takes seriously in these opening verses this idea of examining the destructive doctrines of false teachers. There's a couple of things. One is, is that it's sneaky and that is tricky. It's sneaky because what we are told here is that there is nothing more in the eyes of God, nothing more wicked than the mis- misrepresentation of the truth. And God deals with that. And because of it, there's an exploit that takes place. And the underlying motive with the false teachers is a love of money. And so Jesus here through the scriptures, through Peter. Peter, speaking of the covetousness, examines the destructive nature of these doctrines. And that one doctrine, eliminating the centrality of Jesus as the one who has purchased us and bought us with his precious blood. So Peter goes on to talk about this type of destruction now in verses 4 through 11. And he uses a couple of stories from the Old Testament. In fact, three. He talks about the angels and the angelic rebellion He speaks of the human rebellion in the flood, and then he also speaks of the cultural rebellion in uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. 
So notice in verse 4 it says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains and darkness to be reserved for judgment. There's a kind of an ongoing sentence here. Uh, there's a lot of commas and semicolons, but we'll just pause here because uh, the first example that Peter gives is of the angels. Now we know if we look at scripture and we just do a little study of, of angels is that angels are created beings to glorify and honor and worship and serve God. However, there was this one most beautiful angel. In fact, last week I had a, a good conversation with somebody afterwards who came and asked me about that phrase, the morning star, at the end of chapter one, and uh, which she was a little bit, I mean, she was kind of wondering about what that meant because uh, the scriptures also talk about Lucifer as being the morning star. And I think she mentioned there's like a, uh, a show or something about morning star Lucifer or something. I wasn't aware of it. And uh, she was wondering, well, what does that mean? And it's really fascinating when you look at how uh, Satan was referenced as the morning star, which just means bright one. He was a beautiful, created being. This, uh, this angel that was to worship and lead all of heaven in praising and honoring and glorifying God. And yet he was filled with pride. And because of that pride, he was cast down. He was cast out. In fact, the book of Revelation tells us that there was a third of the stars that were cast out with him that great serpent of old and the word stars in reference to this situation is a, a reference to angels. Often in the scriptures, uh, stars are referenced to angels. And so we have this rebellion in heaven. Now God's not gonna deal with, he's not gonna just uh, let rebellion go uh, unaddressed. And so uh, this rebellion in heaven, he deals with swiftly. He casts them down. There's this judgment against the angelic uh, beings in heaven. That's the first example. Number uh, Verse 5 gives us a second. And he did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah. Everyone say Noah. Noah. We know Noah. We're might familiar with him, the stories uh, of Noah in the Old Testament. The Noah's Ark, the flood coming and destroying because of the judgment of God. You know, the, even Jesus references the, as in the days of Noah, in, will be as in the days of Jesus' return. And so we see here that God did not spare the ancient world, and yet Noah, he delivered, he saved, he saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood of the world of the ungodly. It's interesting, we have a, a couple of commentary notes that we don't have elsewhere about Noah, that Noah was a preacher. He was a minister. He was preaching, not only was he building this great ark, but he was preaching the, the gospel, he's preaching repentance. He was preaching that God's judgment was coming because of the wickedness of, of the human heart. And we're told in the book of Genesis during this time that every intent of the human heart was bent on evil. And God brought this judgment. Now what's interesting about the judgment of God in the flood is that there was also a preservation. There was salvation. And I believe that Noah and the ark is a picture of salvation that Jesus provides for us in the New Testament. And he's preserved and he's protected. He's delivered from the judgment and the wrath of God. Now, this is eight people. But uh, we're told that in the next example, that there's only one person that was righteous. Here's Noah that's righteous. And yet, um, there is a preservation of Noah preaching the gospel. In verse 6, it says, And turning to the cities 
of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man, in reference to Lot, dwelling among them in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, was tormented or in agony, uh, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. So we have these three examples. Uh, first is with the angelic rebellion. Second is with the human rebellion on planet Earth. The third is this cultural rebellion as an example in Sodom and Gomorrah. And you remember the story because of the wickedness and the sexual perversion of homosexuality in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. There was destruction. God poured down fire and brimstone and incinerated the entire city. But do you remember that before he did that, this mighty, the mighty angels of God who were going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, they came, and as they were walking and approaching the city, uh, Abraham saw them, and he said, would you just come alongside? Let me ask you a couple of things. Where are you guys going? And these great, powerful angels said, we're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham had a conversation with them. He says, is that the way of God? Is God somebody who just destroys people? Is he going to destroy the godly with the wicked? And he appeals to the mercy of God. And he, he, um, he tries to talk the angels out of going. And he says, will God destroy the city of Sodom if there's 50 righteous people? He says, if there's 50 righteous people, God relents. He says, I'll spare the city. If there's 40 righteous people, he starts bargaining God down. Maybe he knew there weren't 50 righteous people in this big, massive city of Sodom and Gomorrah. If there's 40 righteous people, will you spare the city? We'll spare the city. God will spare the city for 40 righteous people. If there's 30, forgive me for asking God. If there's 30, yeah, we'll save the city for 30. If there's 20, if there's 10, if there's five, he's talking God down. You know, that really speaks to the power of the presence of you and I as godly, righteous people in the city that we live in. That God's justice, God's mercy, God's grace is being extended to our city, maybe city of San Diego. I wonder how many righteous people are in San Diego. I wonder what kind of judgment that God is bringing upon the wicked and the ungodly upon the city of San Diego, upon the country, upon the United States of America. I'm not saying that God's judgment is coming in any specific way, but we are told in Scripture that God's judgment does come upon the ungodly. And he has his ambassadors. He has you and I. He has people who are his representatives in cities, in neighborhoods, in workplaces, so that his grace, so that his his judgment is held back. If for a time, I'll preserve, I'll, I'll, I'll save, I'll save San Diego because I've got Quest Church and all those righteous people. Not our righteousness, but God's righteousness. Because not just Quest Church, but other churches, other people. And so we see that God delivers his righteous people, but he also brings this judgment. Notice, Lot was in this city, and you remember the story, he was delivered, just barely, with his wife and with his daughters, just running. His wife turned back, turned into a pillar of salt. And, uh, you know, Lot was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. 
So we go from eight people in the flood, now we go from just a, a couple of people in the incineration of Sodom and Gomorrah, and we see a couple of things here. One is, is that God's holiness requires just judgment against wickedness. And because of that, we also are encouraged to see of God's deliverance. Notice he delivered Noah, he delivered Lot, and he delivers you and I. In the bigger picture of salvation, he delivers you and I because we all deserve the the wrath of God, the judgment of God. But uh, because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us, we have been delivered from darkness into his marvelous light. That God's deliverance, this is important here, that God's deliverance is available to you and I even when his judgment is destructively terrible. When his wrath, when his judgment is destructive, it's terrible, it's awesome, it's intense. I mean, these aren't easy verses to read. To understand the nature and character of God. But at the same time, he offers a boat of deliverance. He offers a way of escape from incineration. And that's through the person of Jesus Christ. A couple questions. One is, have you been delivered? If you haven't been delivered, then today's the day to ensure that your soul is delivered and redeemed and forgiven, and bought, sealed, purchased, and secure in the work of Jesus Christ. So we have the destructive doctrines, removing Jesus as the one who has done all the work for us. We have the doom and the destruction of these false teachers, but we also have the depravity, how lost these false teachers are. We see that in verse 12. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand. There's an idea of ignorance and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages, that is the penalty, of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. Normally people, the idea of carousing is doing evil things in the daytime. Normally people who are breaking the law are doing it under the darkness of night so nobody can see. But you know that there is wickedness that prevailing in our culture and in our society when people are no longer hiding those things. It's just out in the open. And this here is a picture of that. And those who take pleasure in carousing in the daytime, they are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. <clears throat> They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are cursed children. They have forsaken the right way and have gone astray, going the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. Here's a summary statement in verse 17. These are wells without water. That was important during their culture and in their time. You needed water in the desert. It was a very precious commodity. And to have a well that was without water was completely useless. It was empty. Wells without water, clouds carried by the tempest, meaning as soon as the clouds came in, you thought, oh, great, we're going to have some rain. Nope. Wiped away. For whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Man, that's pretty serious. That's heavy stuff, right? This is 
how God deals with false doctrine and false teaching. He takes it very seriously. The depravity of these false teachers is a blemish and a blight upon the teachings of Christ. These false teachers are blinded by ignorance, meaning they can't see. And Jesus said of these, as the Pharisees, they are blind leading the blind. Why are you going to follow a blind person? You're just going to be run into a ditch. And they are not only blinded by arrogance, they are bloated, excuse me, blinded by ignorance, they are bloated with arrogance and ego and pride, self-promotion and self-interest. They promise spiritual refreshment, but it's all show and no substance. And Jesus is the opposite. Jesus offers us rest and spiritual refreshment for our souls. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burden, I'll give you rest for your soul. You remember the well, that one well that Jesus was at? There was a story of the woman at the well. He had a conversation with her, and he revealed to her things that nobody knew about her. And he says, if you drink from this well, from this water, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink from the water that I give you, you'll have streams of living water. You'll be satisfied and complete. These false teachers are going to leave you thirsty, thirsty for more. But Jesus is going to satisfy your thirst. He's going to satisfy your deepest longings as you come to him. And then lastly, we see here the deception. Look at verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, there's an eloquence in their speech, but it's just empty. They allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who actually escaped from those who live in air. Everyone say allure, right? So here's one of the tactics of their deception, the false teaching, is that it is alluring, it's enticing. Peter's going to go on to say that it's also enslaving as well as entangling. You see, those who have been delivered, those who have been forgiven, those who have been set free, it's foolish to go back to the bondage of sin again. While... They promise liberty. They themselves are enslaved to corruption. For by whom the person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they had escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome by them. The latter is worse than the end. Peter goes on to use two analogies. One of a dog returning to its vomit and a pig who's been clean going back into the mud pit. Here is the deception of these false teachers and false teaching, destructive doctrines. It's alluring. And what, why is it alluring? Uh, Peter says that it appeals to the lusts of the flesh. It is, a, it is a form of religion but denies the power of God in it. It's a type of religion that says you can live the way you want to live. You can... Continue on in sensuality and in the pleasures of the flesh. You can be carnal and still follow God. That's what the world says today. The world says you can have one foot in and one foot out. Believe what you want. It's all subjective. What is your truth? Whatever your truth is, well, that's okay for you, but don't push your truth on me. And if I want to do this, even though it isn't contradictory to God's word, well, that's okay because I think it's all right. And who are you to judge me? No. The source and the foundation is right here upon God's word. And that truth is established. And Jesus says, you can't change it. And if you try to change it, then I'm going to deal swiftly with those who do. And this form of religion is humanism. It's just 
a picture of what our culture and world is today. You can continue on in the fleshly desires. That's not what Peter said in the first chapter. Peter said that we should cast off the formal lusts, that we should add to our faith virtue and self-control and growing in godliness towards him. But we're also told that if Jesus has saved you and delivered you from bondage, then pledging our homage to these types of false teachers and false doctrine brings us back into spiritual bondage. And Jesus says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Jesus read from Isaiah when he started his ministry and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to set the captives free. That we are enslaved to sin and Jesus has bought us with that sacrifice. And as Peter uses this analogy of being enslaved, enticed, and entangled again, going back to, as a dog to its vomit, it's, it's a foolish stance to return to the foul stench of the world and of our sin and of the things of our past. There's a couple of takeaways here for us as our worship team comes, comes up. And I know this is kind of a heavy message with the destruction and the wrath and the judgment of God, but I, I also want to remind us of the hope that is presented in this, in, in, in this chapter. And that is not only of God's destruction upon wickedness, but also his deliverance for you and I. And that you and I can uh, get over or fight against or resist the deceptive lies by gaining the truth of God's word. There's, a, there's, there's one great takeaway for us, an application because there are so many false teaching, so much deception. That was one of the marks of the end times Jesus told us. That if those days were not shortened, even the elect, that means you and I as followers of Jesus, would be deceived because it is going to be so tricky. It's going to be so deceptive. It's going to, be, it's going to look so like the real deal. But if you don't know the real Jesus, you're going to be led astray by the others. So get close to Jesus and his word, as well as be careful who you're following. Don't follow people, follow Jesus. And make sure that your life is secure and safe and delivered because of what Jesus has done for us. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for reminders of these things in Scripture. It's not the most comfortable or popular thing to see. But we thank you that when we come together at church and we open up your word, then we're exposed to truth and to reality. Then the things that we've been exposed to over this past week as we've scrolled through just pages and pages of social media, we've looked at TikTok videos or Instagram reels or whatever it is, and our minds and our hearts have been inundated with so many things that have polluted our hearts. They've jaded our hearts. They've hurt our hearts. They've burdened our hearts. We thank you that we open up your scripture. It's refreshing. It's real. 
It gives us your perspective and your heart. And I pray for anybody here because as Jesus takes this seriously, as Peter took it seriously in chapter one, says, I will not neglect to remind you of these things even after I am gone. Friend, if you haven't been delivered from the wrath that is to come, in the quietness of your own heart, accept the only way of salvation through Jesus Christ today. Make that decision secure and complete by saying, God, forgive me of my sin. Thank you for delivering me from the wrath and the judgment and the penalty of my sin. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to be born again. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for delivering me. Thank you for saving me. I want to serve you. I want to love you. I want to live for you all the days of my life. And thank you for your faithfulness to me. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would hold back that wrath upon our city. And that you would use all of these men and women, those who are joining us online, all of us as people who would be your representatives and ambassadors, preaching righteousness, preaching Jesus, sharing the gospel, living authentically and genuinely so that others can come before the flood comes, before the darkness comes. May we be about that work and business. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.